0: Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. The night before his crucifixion, Jesus' last night on earth, he prayed. We know that Jesus was a man of prayer. The Gospels record many times items about his prayer life, but there is no place where his prayer life is more significantly on display than on the last night before he died. John 17 records his prayer. It's been called his high priestly prayer. There are three sections to that prayer. In the first section, Jesus prays for himself. As the shadow of the cross lies heavy on his pathway, he prays for himself. Secondly, he prays for his disciples, those 12, though now 11, men that he had called. He prays that God would keep them, that the Father would preserve them from the evil one. And then thirdly, he prays for you. He prays for me. He prays for us. It's clear because he says in that part of his prayer, I pray also for all of those who will believe on me through their testimony, through their witness. And he's referring to the witness of the 11. We have their witness in the New Testament, particularly in the Gospels. It is through that witness that we come to Christ. So he prayed for us. And it's something that he says in that third part of his prayer that we need to heed today. We need to pay careful attention to it today. Because we're talking about the church. From a human perspective, the church has an uncertain future. From a human perspective, here in the Western world, the church is struggling. What should we do? And so we're in this series, seven ideas plus one, to save the church, to change the world. And today we come to idea number five. Idea number five. I would simply state it this way. Jesus is our deepest loyalty. Jesus is our deepest loyalty. Now, I suspect that if we ran that idea up the Christian flagpole, we would all salute. We would all say, yes, I believe that. That's an idea to which I can subscribe. But maybe we ought to test it a bit. You know, get a group of church people together and run a test. For example, maybe when these church people are gathered together, we could ask them to make some decisions. For example, we would say, which is the best sports team? Is it the Lakers or the Celtics? Is it the Rams or the Raiders? Is it the Dodgers or the Yankees? And then we let them go at it. Or maybe we do it with reference to states, which is the best state? Is it California or Florida? Is it Arizona or Tennessee? Is it Alaska or Hawaii? Or maybe we even do it in reference to countries, which is the best country in the world? Is it the United States or Switzerland? Is it Austria or Australia? Is it Brazil or Texas? And then we let them go at it to decide which is the best. What comes out on top? Now, if history is any teacher, I know that there will be vigorous debates and vigorous discussions. The question is, by the time it's all said and done, all over with, are those people still friends? Do they still like each other? Would they still say our deepest loyalty is Jesus? What do you think? Before you answer that too quickly, let me take you back to something that happened to Anita and me, oh, 17, 18 years ago. Right after it happened, I shared it with some of you, but I go back to it again today because it was an interesting event. We had gone down to what was then called the, the, the pond in Anaheim, that big arena where all kinds of events take place. We had gone to a Christian concert. Michael W. Smith and others who were were appearing with him, the pond filled up with people who, if we had asked them, is Jesus your deepest loyalty, they would have said yes. Full of Christ-following disciples. Now, as part of the evening's events, there was a pastor and a writer by the name of Max Lucado. Many of you know of Lucado. He would appear at breaks during the music periodically, and he would give a devotional thought. It was very meaningful. Well, at one of those times, he brought onto the stage with him a friend of his. Now, I have to set the stage for this just a bit. This happened in the spring of the year. It happened right in the middle of a hotly contested playoff NBA series between the Los Angeles Lakers and the San Antonio Spurs. Hotly contested. Need I remind you that the pond in Anaheim is in Lakers territory. Max Lucado happens to pastor, at least at that time, in San Antonio, Texas. And so when he brought a friend onto the stage with him, it was none other than David Robinson, that tall, regal center for the San Antonio Spurs. They called him the Admiral because of his commitment to the Navy. When David Robinson walked onto the stage, the arena erupted in booze. Now, I suspect if you had asked people that night, probably most of them, about booing this man, this brother in Christ who attended Lucado's church, they would have said, oh, it was just good nature. We were just having good-natured fun. And that may have been the case. However, Lucado didn't take it that way. When the boos erupted, he said, Friends, 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 please. This is a brother in Christ. They're in the middle of a hotly contested series. By all rights, he should be with his team tonight. He should be resting up for tomorrow night's pivotal game. Don't boo him. Maybe it was good-natured. But at least Lucado didn't seem to feel that way. Who has your deepest loyalty? Is it a team? A state? A country? A tribe? It's hard to believe now that it's been right about 26 years ago that that horrendous period of time, not that many weeks, months passed, occurred in the country of Rwanda, that time when the Hutus tried to exterminate the Tutsis. Horrific time. Tragically, the world mainly watched. Unconscionable. Just uh, two months ago, maybe, I went through a book, a book that has a rather long title, telling the story of what happened. The title is, We Wish to Inform You That Tomorrow We Will Be Killed With Our Families. That title was chosen because it's a line from a letter written by a group of pastors to a church administrator, a church leader, pastors who were essentially pleading not only for their lives, but for the lives of their people, their flocks. And it was sent to this church administrator. Now, it happened to be that many of the pastors and the church administrator were members of a church called the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Well, Tutsis, in fear for their lives in Rwanda at that time, had fled to the churches into their sanctuaries in order to find sanctuary. It had happened before when fighting erupted, when people were being killed. If you could get into a church sanctuary, you would be safe. And so they had come to the Adventist school, the Adventist compound, and had taken sanctuary in the Adventist church. And now they had penned this letter to the Adventist leader, please save us. Now at best, the administrator responded by saying, Nothing I can do has nothing to do with me. And at worst, which is what the U.N. tribunal believed, he had an active role in their murder. In fact, can you believe this? About 9 a.m., Sabbath morning, time for Sabbath school, he apparently led a group across the campus to the church where they proceeded to slaughter in cold blood several thousand Tutsis, brothers, sisters in Christ. Now, there are different narratives that come out of exactly what happened, but that's what the UN Tribunal believed, and he went to jail, went to prison for his crime. Do you know what I suspect? I suspect, had you asked him, had you asked any of those gathered there that day, on either side of the equation, who has your deepest loyalty, they would have said, Jesus has it. But at the end of the day, it wasn't Jesus, but tribe that had the deepest loyalty. So what about it? Who has your deepest loyalty? It's not just a rhetorical question. It's a question that I urge you to answer. Is it, is it team? Is it state? Is it country? Is it tribe? Is it political party? Because you see, we have this, this, this thing coming up on Tuesday called an election. The road ahead is sobering. So what do we who call ourselves the body of Christ have to contribute? The church. Well, go with me to that night before the crucifixion when Jesus prayed what has been called his high priestly prayer. I want to look at just a piece of that third section of the prayer, John 17, starting with verse 20. Here's what Jesus prayed. My prayer is not for them alone. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Time and again, in different ways, Jesus comes back to this idea of oneness, of unity. Might they be one, just like we are one. May they experience perfect unity. He says it time and again, just in that brief paragraph. If we follow his thought, not only in this prayer, but in the entire gospel of John, in fact, in all the gospels, we find Jesus as the one magnetic sinner who inexorably pulls all toward himself. I, if I be lifted up, will draw all to myself, he said. As we are pulled to him as our deepest loyalty, we are then, by nature of that reality, pulled together to each other. We become one. We become the answer to his prayer. When he is our deepest loyalty. But the question is who has our deepest loyalty? And when Tuesday comes, who will have it? Donald Trump? or Joseph Biden, the Republican Party, or the Democratic Party? Who has our deepest loyalty? I've heard it said over the years a number of times, probably quite a number of times. It's disturbing. I'll use one of the examples when I've heard it said. The church where I was serving at the time Uh, had a member, a neighbor of ours, who in a previous election with strong political convictions and strong passions about them said to me, I do not understand how someone who calls themselves a Christian could ever vote for the Republican side. And I listened. I suppose that statement stands out so clearly in my mind because not too many days removed from that, another person from the same church made to me this comment. I do not understand how anybody who calls themselves a Christian could possibly vote for the Democratic candidate. And I thought, well, there you have it. We have our political convictions as we should in a democracy. We have a right to them. In fact, we have a duty to vote. All of that is good. Even the fact that we see things differently is to be expected. Even the fact that we may feel passionately about such, that's understood. But when we arrive at the point of saying, I can't... Accept your commitment to Jesus because you see politics differently than I do. Then we may be in trouble. Who has your deepest loyalty? Is it Jesus? In other words, when everything else falls away, every difference, every disagreement, every moment of disunity, when all of that moves away and you're left with one last reality, is that Jesus? The best way to answer that question Is not to sit in a church and raise your hand when the preacher asks that question. The best way to answer it is to ask, What do I do with those in the body of Christ with whom I differ politically? In this case, what do I do? I did something, in fact, I've done it two or three times in the last several weeks. Something that I had almost stopped doing. But somebody told me something and showed me something and recommended it. So against my better judgment, I did it. I went on social media. And I looked at some of the things being said. And I'll have to tell you, friends, I was stunned. Shocked. I know, you're you're saying I'm being hyperbolic and using such strong terminology. How could you be surprised with the state of things as they are? But I think that's a good word. I was stunned. Because what I found there on social media were diatribes, were were statements filled, I'm, I'm struggling for a word, Statements filled with some of the deepest and the most angry and foul-languaged attacks on the other side. Coming from people who say, Jesus is my deepest loyalty. Names that I know. Names that, when we're meeting, stand and sing God's praise at church and then curse the other side, the people who see it differently. Now, don't misunderstand me. There are realities about which we should feel passion. There are convictions we should hold. There are issues on both sides of the political aisle that deserve long and thoughtful consideration and then deserve people of conscience to respond. Absolutely. But that is not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the people who go a step beyond that and who make it a a, a personal attack on people who don't see it their way. Do you know what Scripture has something to say about Saying Jesus is my deepest loyalty and then eviscerating those who disagree about people who praise God in one breath and curse others in another? I want to read you just one of the statements. This is from the book of James, a hard-hitting little epistle in the New Testament. James chapter 3, verse 9 says this, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Do you think James has any question about how we should stand in such moments? How we should treat those with whom we differ? How we should speak of those who see things from a different direction than what I see them? He says, this shouldn't be praising and cursing out of the same mouth. So the question is, who has your deepest loyalty? Because if Jesus has your deepest loyalty, you will live by the ethic of Jesus, even when you differ. It's amazing sometimes to me how we get behind a computer screen keyboard, we get on social media on our phone, and somehow all semblance of the the lordship of Jesus in my life seems to evaporate almost as though we believe in this world, in this place, I can say anything I want to. I can belch out, vomit up the most egregious bile against other people. And it doesn't matter. This is social media after all. But do you know that Jesus is Lord of social media as well? Do you know that Jesus calls you to a higher standard just because others, including leaders, do that doesn't give us, who name the name of Jesus, the right to do it as well. In fact, while I'm at it, let me tell you another thing I saw while I was on social media. I saw the experience of a Christian leader who had failed, had fallen. Now I understand Christian leaders, those of us who have been called to lead in the body of Christ, ought to be held to a higher standard. I understand that. I'm painfully aware of that because of my own inadequacies. But I saw this. This Christian leader who had fallen, and I read the attacks of the people. It was like a shark-feeding frenzy. And I thought, what spirit is controlling these people? Just because they are behind the distance of a computer screen, they have the right to eviscerate somebody who was created in the image of Christ, somebody who has fallen. No wonder it is said that the Christian army is the only army that shoots our wounded. By the time I was done looking at that, I, as a pastor, had a desire to say, I don't want any part of this. If this is the way the body of Christ conducts itself, count me out. And I'm a pastor who's given my life to Jesus. Imagine those who are watching who have not made a decision for Christ and who see us conduct ourselves in that manner. Have passion. Stand for conviction. Attack issues. But please, for God's sake, be civil and respectful with people who see it differently, who fail, So I ask you, I ask you the question this morning. Who has your deepest loyalty? Because if Jesus has your deepest loyalty, you will live by the ethic of Jesus. Well, you say, but we have this thing on Tuesday called an election. And in the current climate, this bare knuckle brawl in which we are involved, who knows what I'll say or what I'll do. Well, let me ask ask you to remember something. In fact, let me ask you to remember three things. As the words of the prayer of Jesus still echo in our minds, as the ethic of Jesus still walks before our eyes in the gospel accounts, let me ask you to remember, number one, this. Remember who you are remember who you are. You are a child of the king. To quote the apostle Paul, your citizenship, Philippians 3.20, your citizenship is in heaven. You have been purchased, in the words of my good friend Dwight Nelson, with the crimson currency of Calvary. You belong to Jesus your first citizenship, your primary citizenship is in the kingdom of God, is in heaven, to quote Paul. Remember that. Now I know there have been times in Christian history when for good reason it has been said of those of us who follow Christ to use the words of a song that you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. You've got your your mind on the sweet by and by while we want something sound on the ground while we're still around. I understand that. But there has been a swinging of the pendulum. And for good reason And for biblical purposes, followers of Christ in our time tend to be much more concerned now with the little, the lost, the last, the lonely, the least. Caring for what needs to be cared for in the here and now, and that is as it should be. But as it is in the nature of pendulums to swing... We are now in danger of being so concerned with the here and now that we have forgotten that we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. So my first plea with you is remember who you are. You're a citizen of the heavenly kingdom, a child of the king. Secondly, remember who you are not. Remember who you are not. You are not a person whose conscience and whose vote and whose allegiance is for sale to the highest bidder. Just because it sounds good or just because that's where the herd goes or just because that's what everybody else is doing, that is not who you are. Not if Jesus is your deepest loyalty. This is where we face challenges because the simple truth is this. There are realities in the platform of both parties to which a Christian in good conscience can assent, to which a Christian in good conscience can give their support. And then there are realities in both parties to which we cannot, in good conscience, give our assent or our support. Thus, it requires thoughtful, prayerful consideration. And that's where our judgmentalism tends to come in. We tend to look at our own party and the elements that a Christian can support and say, that is what I believe, and look at the other party and the things that they hold that we cannot support and say, how could they? Neither party belongs to the kingdom of God. We are required to be thoughtful and prayerful and make what at times is the best of two poor choices, So remember, if you belong to Jesus, you cannot be subsumed by any party and say, you belong to us and anything we stand for, you must support. That is not who you are, not as a child of the King. Remember who you are. Remember who you are not. And thirdly, remember who they are. They. Who is the they? The they is those people who differ with you. Who see it from a different perspective, a different angle. Remember who they are. You know who they are? Even if they don't belong to Jesus, they are creatures, people, humans created in the image of God. People for whom Jesus gave his life. People whom God loves with an everlasting love. And if the they in your life are people who belong to the body of Christ, they're your brothers and your sisters. So whichever they are, be civil, be respectful, treat them with dignity. It is possible to have passion without hatred. It is possible to have conviction without demeaning. It is possible to deal with issues and not attack people. So remember who they are. Remember who you are, remember who you are not, and remember who they are. And remember the words of Jesus here in the Gospel of John the prayer of Jesus when he prayed that we might all be one, that he might be our deepest loyalty. I wonder, that idea, the fifth idea, Jesus is our deepest loyalty, I wonder, what would the church be if we truly lived that out? if that was the ethic by which we stood and lived, if that guided and determined the way we treated each other in the body and those outside of the body, if we, with all of our conviction, nevertheless landed on the side of civility and respect and grace, I wonder what the church would be, that those outside would know that we care for and respect them, and those inside would experience that we love and honor and cherish them, and that we do so all because Jesus is our deepest loyalty.